0: FOSS Corporation, LLC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments. This is season six. So sit back and enjoy. Listen to some stories of the weird, of the odd, of the strange and unusual some ghost stories, some cryptid stories, some just strange stuff. Again, welcome to Season 6. Enjoy. Hello everybody, this is Terry from Texas with another episode of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Here lately it seems like I should have renamed it as a, as a subset for Terry's mysterious Nazca Pampas stories, but such is life and the weirdness. Well, I said it last episode. The Nazca Pampas has many mysteries. And if you're wondering what a Pampas is, it's a plane. P L A I N. And here's another mystery from Peru, the area of the Nazca lines. Some 2000 years ago in a coastal region of Peru that receives less than 4 millimeters 4 millimeters. That's only 0. 0.15748 inches. That's like pouring a bottle of water out onto the ground once a month. They receive four millimeters of rain annually. An ancient civilization flourished around an agricultural economy that included maize, squash, yucca, and other crops. It flourished, not just subsisted, but flourished called the Nazca. Why not? Their legacy today is best known to the world from the Nazca lines, as we discussed earlier. Ancient geoglyphs in the desert that range from simple lines to images of monkeys, fish, and lizards. While the lines are theorized to have been created for religious purposes, The Nazca's intricate engineering of subterranean aqueducts was the life force that supported their entire civilization. The system tapped into naturally occurring underground reservoirs at the base of the Nazca mountains, using a series of horizontal trenches to funnel the water on its way to the sea. Dotting the surface of these underground aqueducts were dozens perhaps even hundreds of spiral shaped wells known as puquios. 36 of these unique structures still exist today, with many still serving as a source of fresh water for the local population. While the puquios have long been theorized as dual purpose shafts for both cleaning debris from the tunnels and accessing water, their unique spiral design has remained something of a puzzle. According to Italian researchers at the Institute of Methodologies for Environmental Analysis, that mystery may have been solved thanks to an in depth analysis of the Puquio's layout from satellite imagery. The corkscrew vertical shafts weren't just wells, they surmise but a sophisticated hydraulic system. Their structure pulled air down into the underground aqueduct system. The wind actually helped to push the water through the system, which meant they served as ancient pumps, explains Fizz.org. Ain't that neat? And people say that ancient man was dumb as a bag of hammers. Exploiting an inexhaustible water supply throughout the year, the Puquio system contributed to an intensive agriculture of the valleys in one of the most arid places in the world, researcher Rosa Lasaponara told the BBC. The puquios were the most ambitious hydraulic project in the Nazca area and made water available for the whole year, not only for agriculture and irrigation, but also for domestic needs. What is really impressive is the great efforts, organization, and cooperation required for their construction and regular maintenance?" added Lasa Panara. The work of Lasa Panara and others will be published in The Ancient World, New Insights from Science and Archaeology, which is a deep dive into Nazca culture from a scientific and archaeological perspective. The Nazca's command over water, and subsequent abundance of crops, may have led to their eventual demise though. UK researchers in 2009, studying the region, discovered that the Nazca cleared massive swaths of native forest for crops. Particularly devastating was the felling of the Horongo tree, a critical piece of the ecosystem that helped soil retain moisture, fertility, and shored up vital irrigation channels. Once gone, the entire valley became vulnerable to massive weather events, soil-stripping winds, and flooding. Well, just goes to show that nothing is perfect where man is involved. Here's a case in point. The Mari Man, or Stewart's Giant, is a modern geoglyph discovered in 1998, and it's not on the Nazca Pampas. It appears to depict an indigenous Australian man hunting with a boomerang or stick. It lies on a plateau at Finnis Springs, 37 miles west of the township of Mari in central South Australia. Approximately 12 kilometers northwest of Kalana. It is just outside the 49,000 square mile Woomera Prohibited Area. Does that mean they prohibit Woomeras or you can't go into the Woomera area? Uh, yeah, I digress. The figure is 1.7 miles tall with a perimeter of 17 miles extending over an area of about 620 acres. Although it is one of the largest geoglyphs in the world, arguably second to the Sahama lines, and stay tuned, I'll get to them, its origin remains a mystery with no one claiming responsibility for its creation, nor any eyewitness having been found, notwithstanding the scale of the operation required to form the outline on the plateau floor. The description, Stewart's Giant, was used in anonymous faxes sent to media as press releases in July of 1998 with a reference to the explorer John McDougall Stewart. It was discovered fortuitously by a charter pilot in an overflight on June 26 of 1998. Shortly after its discovery, The site was closed by the South Australian government following legal action taken in late July by native title claimants, but flights over the site were not forbidden as native title fell under federal government jurisdiction. The Mari Man geoglyph depicts a man holding either a woomera, which is a throwing stick once used to disperse small flocks of birds, or a boomerang. There are some who believe that the figure has the head of a bird, as the Egyptian deity Osiris has, and faces his left side. But look at the head as if it faces right, then it becomes a regular man with either a ponytail or a tied back hair. I opt to see it as the latter. By December of 1998, it had been noted that the outline matched in reverse that of the Artemisian Zeus bronze raised from the bottom of the Adriatic Sea in 1928. The lines outlining the figure were 7.9 to 11.8 inches deep at the time of discovery and up to 115 feet wide. The image was gradually eroded through natural processes, but because the climate is extremely dry and barren in the region, The image was still visible in 2013. While there is a layer of white chalk material slightly below the red soil, the figure was not defined to this depth. The creation of Mari Man occurred between May 27th and June 12th of 1998. By comparing images collected on those dates from NASA's Landsat 5 satellite, the desert area where Mari Man was found goes from undisturbed to the completed figure. In August of 2016, work was carried out to redefine the geoglyph using a grader assisted by GPS. The work resulted in an outline clearly visible from the air, matching the original. Two decades after its creation, it was speculated that the work itself could not have been created without GPS technology then in its infancy. Trek Smith, a charter pilot flying between Mari and Coober Peevee in the remote south of South Australia, spotted the figure from the air on June 26 of 1998. The discovery of the geoglyph fascinated Australians due to its size and the mystery surrounding how it came to be there. Shane Anderson from the William Creek Hotel located 120 miles northwest of the town of Mari, claimed the hotel received an anonymous fax describing the location of the artwork. Several anonymous press releases sent to media and local businesses in July and August of 1998 led to the suggestion that the Mari Man was created by people from the United States. Indeed, a detachment of American troops were stationed at the local space agency headquarters and were due to head home soon so it's thought this group created the image as a parting gift for the people of australia the releases said your state of sa queensland barrier reef and mentioned aborigines from the local indigenous territories terms not used by australians the press releases also mentioned the great serpent in ohio which is not well-known outside the U.S. It was also conjectured that these features of the press releases may have been red herrings inserted to provide an illusion of American authorship. On July 16, 1998, it was reported that a small glass jar had been found in a trough freshly dug at the site containing a satellite photo of the Mari man together with a note bearing a U.S. flag and references to, for whatever reason, the Branch Davidians and Stewart's Giant. In January of 1999, a fax sent to officials described a dedication plaque buried 16 feet south of the nose of the figure. The plaque bore an American flag, 1.2 inches long by .79 inches wide. It's a very small flag with an imprint of the Olympic rings and bore the words, in honor of the land they once knew, his attainments in these pursuits are extraordinary, a constant source of wonderment and admiration, which come from Hedley H. Finlayson's 1946 book called The Red Center, in a section describing the hunting of wallabies with throwing sticks and with photographs of hunters without loincloths and other details seen in the Mari Man. The book deals with hunters of the, give me a chance here, the Pigeon Jutjara tribe. Crocodile Dundee, anyone? Bardius Goldberg, a Northern Territory artist who died in 2002 and lived at Alice Springs, has been suggested as the creator of the work Goldberg, who was known to be interested in creating a work visible from space, refused when questioned to either confirm or deny that he had created the image. Much of the public and media reaction to the discovery of the figure was positive. The advertiser, the state's only daily newspaper, called for the figure to be made permanent by excavating the outline down to the white chalk layer. At the time of the discovery, The area was a part of a federal court lawsuit through the National Native Title Tribunal to determine the traditional owners. The area was claimed by both the Erebuna people and the Dere Mitha, who had been in dispute for several years. The Dere Mitha publicly complained of harm and exploitation of the Dreamtime, calling for the image to be erased and for the artist to be prosecuted. As native title claimants, the Mitha took legal action to stop charter flights and vehicles visiting the site, prompting the state government to close the area to the public shortly after discovery. The Erebuna replied, through a solicitor, that the area covered points of archaeological interest and the artist could be prosecuted. In May 2012, the federal court handed native title to the Arabuna people. The artwork was called Environmental Vandalism by the former environment minister, Dorothy Kotz, and graffiti by the South Australian Chief of Aboriginal Affairs, David Ruthman. In June of 2018, adventurer Dick Smith revealed that he had had a team working on investigating the origins of Mari Man for two years, to no avail, and was offering an Australian $5,000 reward for information leading to identifying its creators. The South Australian state government subsequently formally stated that they would not pursue any legal proceedings against the creators if identified. Now on to the Sahama lines, or actually it's pronounced Sashama lines. Of western Bolivia are a network of thousands, possibly tens of thousands, of nearly perfectly straight paths etched into the ground continuously for more than 3,000 years by the indigenous people living near the volcano Sashama. They form a web-like network that blankets the Altiplano. Recent research revealed that this network of lines covers an area of 8,697 square miles or 5,566,000 acres an area approximately 15 times larger than the area covered by the Nazca lines in Peru. Rough estimates put their linear length at 9,900 miles, roughly three times the breadth of the United States. As such, the Sashama lines are the largest archeological site in the Andes and might be considered the largest artwork in the world. The lines were created by scraping aside vegetation and the dark surface material, consisting of soil and oxidized rock and exposing the lighter subsurface material. Like the better known Nazca lines, which differ from the Sashama lines in that some of the Nazca are depictions of animals, and you knew we had to get the Nazca lines in there somewhere. Neither the purpose of these lines, nor how the makers achieved such precision, are they completely understood. Scholars at the University of Pennsylvania describe the lines. While many of these sacred lines, I don't know if that's an assumption that they're sacred or they know something nobody else knows but while many of these sacred lines extend as far as 10 or 20 kilometers and perhaps further they all seem to maintain a remarkable straightness despite rugged topography and natural obstacles the sheer number and length of these lines is often difficult to perceive from ground level but from the air or hilltop vantage points They are stunning. There are many that believe the lines were originally used by indigenous people when they made sacred pilgrimages interspersed among this network of radial lines and aligned to where lines meet are wakas or shrines, chulpas, burial towers, and hamlets, making the area a unique cultural landscape. Though the region is now sparsely populated, there is evidence that some of the lines are still in use as footpaths. The earliest account of the Sashama lines in English is a brief reference by traveler Amy Felix Shifley in 1932. That same decade, anthropologist Alfred Metro brought the lines and associated structures to the attention of scholars when he published ethnographic fieldwork about the Aymara and Chapaya people of the Carangas region. In the 1970s, British writer and filmmaker, Tony Morrison reported on this network of sacred lines and roadways. In recent years, organizations such as the Landmarks Foundation have studied and mapped the Sashama lines to create a database to help protect the landscape from threats of erosion, unchecked internationally financed development and tourism in the area, and other dangers that come from the absence of a management plan. The Landmarks Foundation worked with the University of Pennsylvania to develop the Tierra Sashama Project which used geographic information systems, or GIS, and other analytical digital media tools to map, describe, and analyze the Sashama lines and their associated structures in order to offer strategies to protect and promote the lines in the future. The Tierra Sashama project created a computer database of maps and pertinent information about the lines local vegetation and relevant topography. It analyzed and interpreted the patterns and meanings of various land features such as mountaintop shrines and religious structures to determine possible alignments to the sacred lines. It developed proposals that provided for long-term protection of the lines and enhanced appreciation of the sacred landscape. According to Tierra Sashama, participants, the Sashama lines are extraordinary examples of human achievement and spiritual expression. With proper preservation and management, responsible development, erosion prevention, and measures to minimize vandalism, the Sashama lines can be protected to the benefit of tourists from all over the world, as well as the local people. Now what is it that makes people do things like this the nazca lines the band of holes that we discussed in an earlier show um the these different things that happen the the aqueducts you know of course that was a necessary thing for people to do but they they cut lines into the earth you know why do they walk them in a religious thing in a religious manner Uh, are they guides to from one place to another Uh, is it a maybe penitence for something I don't think they're trying to show aliens what monkeys or mosquitoes or hummingbirds look like or storks or whatever but you never know Uh, what's in the mind of ancient man. you know or or older men, maybe not ancient, but older. There are some beautiful designs that have been cut into the earth. And why not? The earth is the world's largest canvas to work on. Well, that's it for this show. We'll be back with another episode of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Have a great week. Take care.